Hello and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by myself, Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, and Chip Sadarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading lists at mangasplaining.com. This week is my week, and coincidentally, Christopher has just moved to the other side of the world. So that makes our, our particular choice this week maybe a little, I guess, appropriate. Or maybe he's in the mood to talk about it. We'll yeah. find out. It is <laughs> Kowloon Generic Warmas by Jun Mayuzuki. It is published by Yen Press, translated by Amanda Haley, and lettered by Abigail Blattman. Before we get too much into it, I will read the description that Yen Press has put out for us. It goes like this. Welcome to Kowloon Walled City, a dystopian townscape where the people are brimming with nostalgia and where the past, present, and future converge. Amid the hidden emotions and extraordinary daily lives of the men and women working in its confines, a tale of romance begins to unfold for real estate agent Reiko Kujirai, one that feels as familiar as Kowloon itself. For a story that's set in Kowloon, Walled City, how come the characters all have Japanese names? That just threw me off. <laughs> and maybe that's just me nitpicking and shit, but whatever. <laughs> um, One star. <laughs> it's a book that's pretty brand new. It's one that Yen Press just has the first volume out right now. It's by Jin Mayuzuki, who did another book called After the Rain that Vertical put out. This one, I, I kind of went into this blind. You know, I just like the cover art. I like her. I like this artist's work, but I didn't know what I was in for. Well, you're also very interested in Kowloon Walled City. Yes. Which you mentioned when you uh, suggested the book to, to Chip. And so I think that that's, it's fun to try and do a book like that as well. I actually am super curious. I know usually you ask someone else to go first, but I'm really curious what your take is on this because you didn't know anything about it going in. Oh, okay. Well, one, I, I was delightfully surprised. <laughs> At how it wasn't quite what I expected. Because the, the title itself says it's going to be this generic romance. So I thought it would just be this kind of cute little slice of life romance about these two opposite characters. And in a way it is. But there's this element that gets introduced halfway through that makes you think, oh, this is not a true to historical version of Kowloon Walled City. There's this thing mm. that gets introduced in the middle, like this generic Terra which is like this floating city in the sky. And you're like, okay, that didn't happen in my version of history. <laughs> 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 and there's also kind of this lovely, the way that it unfolds, it starts like, you know, the, the woman, Reiko, is eating watermelon. It's a hot day. You can tell it's hot. She, she goes out to the balcony, she smokes a cigarette, and then it pans out to see the wall of balconies and and apartments that is Kowloon Walled City. So it starts out, and I think, oh, it's going to be this nostalgic story because Kowloon Walled City is no longer in existence, right? It was basically this patch of unincorporated Hong Kong that was under no particular jurisdiction. So therefore, it just got built up wall to wall with no zoning, no laws, <laughs> no, and people just kind of willy-nilly created this community. You know, they you know, put together electrical and hoses and just kind of made this jerry-rigged city that was just packed wall to wall from, from border to border, a stairways. And I was, it's just kind of this mishmash, crazy place that was had a reputation for being very unsavory and unsafe because it was so lawless, but also 
one that people who lived there found it to be a real, a real community. Like they loved it. Mm-hmm. They all knew each other. They, they had everything they needed in there. And then at some point it got torn down and is now a park. But it is a place of great fascination to me because, you know, it's, it's this kind of, it's both dystopian <laughs> and, and as the character in the book keeps saying, nostalgic. Mm. So I, I, I don't, I got to say, I went through the book and there are these moments where it's just pure fan service, right? Like she is wearing a t-shirt without a bra and don't get me wrong. I do that tons of times too, but whoa, (laughs) (laughs) it is a sane in manga. (laughs) It's, it's, it's dripping with sweat and it is sexy, you know, in some very strange moments, but the romance Mm. is, is engaging. And then the, the last couple scenes at the end is like, okay, you got me. Yeah, the the hook at the end just killed me, mm. and I was like, "I have to get volume two now." <laughs> so, in in a lot of ways, I think I like this better than After the Rain. I thought it was really interesting. Hmm. So, I'll ask you, Chris, since you are not exactly in Kowloon Wall City, but something maybe kind of adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. What did you think of Kowloon generic romance? Yeah, so I live in Taipei now, and ever since the pandemic, the short version is that. I've been thinking about where I would like to live and what I would like to do. And now that everyone can go fully, you know, online with that kind of stuff, I looked at where I wanted to live and it was, I wanted to see more of the world. And I had gotten to visit Taipei a couple of years ago and their comic scene is really amazing, actually. Really, really lots of government funded stuff, lots of cultural stuff that's really great going on here. And I wanted to learn something. I wanted to like go and not know anything and just kind of see something new. So it is really different than Kowloon Walled City in a lot of different ways in that it is the opposite of lawless. That's the that's the first big start. Secondly, <laughs> it's its own country and there's just uh, there's so much going on here. I, I'm sure we'll talk about it in future weeks. But it was really nice actually to read Kowloon Generic Romance. It's the first book when I landed because it was like a little bit of flavor of Chinese culture for what I was entering into. And that was really neat. This is the exact kind of book that I actually love in manga. This is the kind of experience where it's like, a really um, traditional, I wouldn't say generic, but traditional setting where you get to learn something and you sort of get to see these characters move through it. But there's a twist. And this one, the twist is that there's this floating city in the sky, which I think is hilarious. And obviously there's the other plot twist that happens at the end of the book. And I've been curious about reading this since, I know, I know, but it was actually one of the, one of the, big picks, one of the big winners a couple of years ago at the Angoulême Festival. And I was like, oh man, this is the kind of book that's never going to get picked up in English. And then it did. Super happy to get to read it. That's awesome. As for the execution, I am absolutely intrigued. I think it did a lot of things in the first volume that make me interested and wanting to read more. Didn't knock it out of the park, that's for sure. But it does a lot of stuff that's really interesting. And I want to see where it's going for sure. Kellen Generic Romance, solid 7 out of 10. I'm super excited about that, about reading future volumes. And maybe it'll, this as a series, it'll just keep going 8, 9, or 10 in, in future volumes. I'm curious what David Hewitt thinks about it. What's his first impressions? Yeah, I also went in cold. You know, again, just trusting Deb's recommendation, I picked up the book and started reading it. And within one page, I was like, oh, it's that kind of book. Mm. When they did the... <laughs> Immediate down blouse on the main character yeah. on like the third page. <laughs> the two-page spread. I checked while I was reading 
to make sure that Jun yeah. Miyazuki was a lady. And I'm like, oh, this is definitely drawn by a lady. And this is kind of a little bit of a horny book. So, yeah, I just want to <laughs> clarify. <laughs> I think I was expecting something more, maybe more shoujo than Jose. And instead mm-hmm. it was Seinen, which is like completely different. So it's a little hell <laughs> to recalibrate. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the opening zoom out with the title. I thought that was a really mm. good touch. But even more than that, the following page where she's just eating watermelon and smoking. Like I have this thing where smoking's obviously bad. Like big tobacco kills people. They're, you know, like actually evil people. Oh, great. We're going to lose all of our cigarette sponsors <laughs> now. Thanks. I know. I know. We still have all of the arms dealers, though. <laughs> 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 but that. I think that like smoking is one of like the best storytelling tools in any story ever. Mm. Like it's so great for pacing, for building character, like yeah. just her smoking, eating watermelon and like going back and forth is like so good. And it like sort of immediately charmed me as a character. Mm. And like Deb, I was like, wait, why are there all these Japanese characters in Kowloon walled <laughs> city? And then when they introduced the plot twist that Christopher mentioned, I was like, Oh, because it's, an alternate universe take on Kowloon Walled City. And I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. Mm. But I don't know. It's an interesting setting, interesting characters. And it was so happy-go-lucky that it kind of threw me off a little bit. Mm. I was expecting like a little more... Mm. I shouldn't say historical accuracy because, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an action or uh, adventure comic, I guess, kind of a fantasy. But it was like so just like cheery and Disney version of Calhoun Walt City that I was very surprised. I think I would read volume two, though. I was surprised there weren't like little robins like floating. <laughs> in like, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like there's all these moments where it's like, oh, like this is really beautiful. And it's not like, you know, life wasn't couldn't be beautiful, but it's mm-hmm. so generic. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah. Chip, let's let's hear what your first impressions of this book was. I loved it, and I, I I mean I knew I was going to at least enjoy it after the first few pages, not because of the down blow shot, <laughs> but because of how beautifully it was drawn and and paced. Like mm-hmm. you know that the opening scene of her, you know, with the the cigarette, the watermelon, like it's really really lovely, and it really gives you kind of a a sense of the pacing of the story and the attention to detail and that there's going to be some quirks. And yeah, and I really like the romance. Like I, I, as I was reading, I was just kind of like, okay, it's kind of generic. Like he's a bit of a bad boy. She's like the nerd, but there are so many nice little touches kind of between them and kind of character reveals as, as you go through that I actually really kind of bought into the romance part of this. I don't know anything about Kowloon walled city. Like I, uh, I, I didn't know it was a thing. So I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, okay, this is like a made up place. So I don't have any, <laughs> my, my absolute ignorance of the world just means I had, I had no preconceptions going in. As far as I could tell, this was like a sci-fi kind of story that felt like it was modern, but also with weird sci-fi touches. And, and this is also, this is one of the only books where I think we've, we've, we've talked spoilers on every title. And this is one where I think we should not talk about the end of the book. 
because it, it really just kind of it hit me and i'm like oh yeah of course there's going to be some sort of like fun twist here like they've already set up this kind of surreal thing with the floating city and like the the dolls like they're all all these weird little environmental things even like because it is i can't tell if it's like set in the future or an alternate world because like she also had like the eye drops thing which mm-hmm. felt like kind of possible today but also sci-fi-ish the other thing i really loved is the fact that they work for like property management company (laughs) (laughs) like that there's clearly something big kind of happening and with this floating city and all the kind of the, the the stuff happening around them but the fact that their job is just kind of generic and like i really i really love when they just have kind of Average characters doing average jobs in like kind of semi fantastic situations. There's something mm-hmm. about that that really, really works for me. I love that he went to a porno theater to unwind. It's great. It's a great character touch. <laughs> like it's just it's unexpected, but then you're like, oh yeah, I can see this guy doing that. And those those are great character moments when when you have that reaction where you're like, it shocks you, but then you realize, oh, that makes sense. And I, I think I think this author is really good at those moments. And like, I, I know you refer to this as a bit of a horny book, but I would I would get specific with it. I'd say it's a sensual horny book. Like there is like kind of the TNA stuff, but everything's just kind of like rendered in such a way that it just feels a lot more sensual than like standard TNA. Like even that first shot of her eating the watermelon, it's just beautiful and sexy and like. But not just like, oh my god, look at my nipples. Like it's not like that kind of book, even though there is that. If that makes sense. Sure, but when mm-hmm. she's painting the the room, that one was just like pure hentai. That that full page illustration oh, of her yeah. like overheating is just like it's porn. Like that's like a porn illustration. It is. It is. But it's a, but it is a it is a payoff. It is a yeah. payoff. That's not that's not page. That's not page ten or something. No, that's like like the author clearly knows what they're in, doing. Yeah. They know, yeah, they know to build to that moment. Like you don't, you don't get. If this was straight up like a hentai, then it would just be like you'd have those kind of all throughout. But this was like, no, no, we're building to this. Like mm-hmm. we've seen her kind of buttoned up and stuff, and like in, in a very understated kind of sexy. And this is like, it's her working, it's her doing her job too, and also like being sexy and uh, overheated and stuff. And the moment when he catches her, it's just like, it's just a nice payoff. And like, I get that. It's like, you know, there, there are going to be people jerking it to this. Sure. <laughs> but, but I think, I think, I think it just really works. Like I said, on that sensual level, I, I, I quite liked it. Mm. Also, I, maybe this is weird, but I feel like room painting scenes in movies are like historically romantic scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I think, right. I think, like there's some kind of like passion or something involved. Oh. And I don't know why exactly, except that it's sort of like a, a couple thing to do, you know? Yeah. Mm. Like this it's is messy. our place now. Yeah. It's messy. Yeah. You're, so you're splattering white on these walls. <laughs> oh, like Jesus. there's all sorts of weird. What? Yeah. Sorry. I thought you were done and we could keep going, <laughs> but no, keep talking about how painting on a wall is gross. Yeah. Keep, keep going. <laughs> I didn't say it was gross. It's sexy. Oh, okay. My bad. I did think the the page of her with paint in her palm, I was like, wow, that's like really far for a non-porn magazine to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. 
I did want to say that there's a lot of sensuality in this book that they discuss mm. very sensual moments, like the taste of eating two things together or trying different foods. And like food is very sensual. The heat is very sensual. Like I get what you're saying, Chip, and I agree with you for, for the record. <laughs> but anyway, okay. sorry, Deb, what were you going to say? I could feel like this is a, the person who drew this knows how women look mm. and you know what I mean? Like these, these aren't exaggeratedly large boobs. Like she's not, she doesn't look like Nami, right? Nami in one piece is a Barbie doll, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. She's out of control. <laughs> but this woman, like she, the way her body is shaped and the way that even how her nipples are portrayed, it looks naturalistic. Mm. It looks naturalistic for manga. Mm. It's still definitely a comic. For me, it it didn't feel like uncomfortably hentai. It felt like, like a, like a sexy sensual movie scene, like Chip was saying. Hmm. Pages one forty two and one forty three, when she slumps over, like right before she goes, "I'm in love with him." Mm. I think that's a good example of what you're talking about because her breasts do like deform against her knee, rather than doing like the porn comic thing of always looking perfect from every possible angle. Yeah, mm. it's pretty good. It's really well drawn. She has a really long neck, but I think that's just a comic book thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got a question, if you don't mind, actually. And I know, obviously, Chip isn't going to be able to answer this one. But, David, have you guys read Dead Dead Demons to Destruction? Yes. Uh I read one volume and then meant to get back to it. This seems like the yeah, it's my favorite book. Uncommercial, thanks, Chip. Uncommercial art house version of Dead Dead Demons Destruction to me, in that it's like an otherwise normal world, but there's just this one thing hanging over them in the sky that's causing other things to happen. And like Dead Demons, Dead Dead Demons is like anti-commercial and like it constantly subverts all the manga tropes that it brings up. Whereas this is just like it felt to me like it was written in a different space than Dead Dead Demons, even though they're both technically Sanin manga. But that was like my big takeaway from reading this. It was like, wow, this is like an alternate universe version of that Inio Asano comic. And I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on that. Like, am I off base or you see what I'm getting at? Or what, what do you think? Is there more to it than like the one magical element, so to speak, for you? Like, is there a tone or anything? The tone is totally different. But, like, the way that the characters are, like, interacting with the world around them is, like, Dead Dead Demons, the conceit is that it's society's basically, some people in society have gone off the rails. Because it's like, there's this giant thing hanging in the sky, so I'm just going to do whatever I want now. Whereas, I feel like we're seeing there's this giant thing hanging in the sky and everything's about to change, but we're going to keep working our menial jobs. Like, I feel like these characters could both exist Mm -hmm. in the other's manga if they wanted to. And we're just seeing like Mm -hmm. the difference between like two rambunctious 14 year old girls who hate everything on the one hand, like you, Inio Sano's very cynical and dark worldview. And then this like romantic worldview and generic, generic romance, calling generic romance, but they could be Mm -hmm. like, I felt I got real, real vibes off that. And maybe I'm alone, but maybe someone let us know in the comments too. Deb, what did you think? But there's a key difference too, between Mm -hmm. the two things in the sky, like in Dede de Demon is basically an alien spaceship hovering over Japan and nobody knows whether they're going to get destroyed or not. Mm -hmm. Spaceship came like two years ago and hasn't done anything except hang out there. 
And everyone's like, we don't know. It's a little bit like the pandemic, right? Like, oh my God, the world's coming to an end when it first comes, right? And that's two years later. And like, well, should I just go on with my regular life or are yeah. we still in danger? I, like, you're not sure, right? Whereas in Kowloon Generic Romance, it's basically, it's this government project to create this city in this experimental city in the sky. And everyone's like, yeah, that's what, that's what the government's doing. It's like building an Olympic stadium. There it is. Something's <laughs> happening. But, you know, like it's, yeah. it's something they understand and it's not something imminently evil hovering above them. It's just something like, well, that's what those dumb people, the government are spending lots of money on. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> you I, know? I associate dread. Oh, you got sinister vibes from it. <laughs> I think just because it looks like an alien thing and like it's meant to be a little bit shocking. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm yeah. sure there'll be a twist with it or something. But yeah, like Deb was saying, it feels more like there's less of a sense of dread mm. to Kowloon generic romance, I think. And all of the anxieties are like mundane ones. Like, no one's like, oh, what if this thing summons demons from space hell and then we have to deal with that? It's like, oh, we're just trying to do this, you know, alternate Earth thing and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. And life goes on. Mm. And like, I think I also like the life goes on aspect of it. Like the chapter seven title page where they're kind of like in a band together, like yeah. singing and with the, I don't know, trombone with that instrument. <laughs> what I would say they have in common is they're both equally well drawn or well observed. Like mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. really nail the worlds they're trying to depict. Mm-hmm. Because Kowloon Generic Romance to me feels almost like a, like a generic story in the background of a Masamune Shiro comic from the 80s, like yeah. Apple Seed or something. You know? I was going to say that this could have been in the 80s. If someone said this was made in the 80s, I would totally not bat an eye. Other than it wouldn't have the studio Proteus lettering like it would have had in the 80s in English. Like It has a very contemporary <laughs> yeah. lettering style instead. But yeah, anyway, sorry. And I think it's evoking that for sure. The main guys look and the the technology they have at their hands. Mm. Well, well, to be yeah. honest, like when you even just mentioned the world that it was set in Kowloon Walled City, the fact that it's set in there makes you automatically know that it's set either in the 80s or earlier, right? And mm-hmm. so it's really interesting that they keep talking about nostalgia. Like, do you talk about nostalgia when you're living in the present? I'm not sure. Yes, but more as I get older. <laughs> and like okay. have something to look back on. Yeah, right? sounds... Because I would say, like, Helen Walt City was, like, finally fully torn down in, like, 1994, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's, like, a, I don't know, it feels like there's a dividing line in there mm-hmm. where you can mm-hmm. see, like, oh, this is what things could have been. This is where things could have gone because, like, the British occupation was winding down. Mm-hmm. I don't know if occupation is the right word or what they prefer to call that, but. Commonwealth. I don't know. <laughs> it's a spicy, it's a spicy week for the, the British Empire. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> But I could totally see someone looking at even something as complicated as the walled city and being like, you know, like we had something here. There, there's something to the lives we built here mm. and looking back on it mm. and using nostalgia as a filter for love. is kind of fun because mm. then it raises a lot of questions mm. about motivations and like, are they loving for the right reason? Yeah. What, what do you yeah. mean by that? Like if you meet someone who reminds you of someone else, and then you become infatuated with that second person. Like, is that fair to the second person that this first person's in the background, kind of like a ghost haunting the relationship? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Things like that. Or, you know, if like, you know, you just need like a rebound and you know, this person wants like a full blown relationship, then is that, you know, 
their trade, so to speak. Yeah, I was kind of going back and forth, like, you know, how the way that they set up Reiko, like she's very cool and very quiet. She savors her watermelon. <laughs> she just kind of goes to work. And then when Abkudo comes in, he's like, you know, barrels in, like, and then shoves his time card into the clock. He goes, I'm on time. <laughs> and bam, he's like, and then she's late because he shoved his way in before her. So it's yeah. kind of like this immediate contrast between this cool, quiet, you know, serene woman and this absolutely pushy, kind of selfish guy. <laughs> then you kind of becomes established that she has a simmering feelings for him. Hmm. And you're like, but why? Yeah. <laughs> He's such a jerk. <laughs> I would even push that further. I would say that she's a little detached. Mm. All of these moments, these like super slow moments in the beginning on her, it's almost like she's completely disconnected from what's going on. Like she's floating through things until he's a dick to her. And he's like a super mm. jerk, like constantly telling how old she looks and whatever and whatever. Like, Almost unredeemable in terms of romantic lead until we get to some of the twist stuff that goes on. She snaps into focus and into the present when he's a dick to her. And otherwise, she's just mm -hmm. like doing these sort of sensual, alone, like floaty thing. It's very Wong Kar Wai, uh, which is like a whole <laughs> whole theme of this one. But yeah, I thought that that was, that was fascinating between the two. I actually wanted to, based on what, what you guys were saying, so the Japanese idea of Natsukashi, of like nostalgia, is you can... So Natsukashi directly translates to nostalgia. And I would imagine in the Japanese version of this book, they're using the word Natsukashi every time the word nostalgia is translated into English. But the concept is like a little more nuanced than that, because you could be hanging out with your friends and talking and like, oh, this is like, we always hang out and talk. Natsukashi, like you say the word nostalgia out loud to the people you're talking to. And it's part of Japanese. And it's not just for doing something that reminds you of something you used to do, or if something reminds you of something that's nostalgic, but for something that might become nostalgic in the future. Like we're having such a good time right now. Like this is going to be something we remember for everywhere. Nostalgia. Like it doesn't work in English the same way. And so I feel like these people are moving through these scenes and talking about nostalgia for things that they're doing as they're doing them. And, you know, as we all get older, yeah, absolutely. That is something that we start to feel nostalgic for sitting in the groups that we're sitting in talking to the people we're talking in but it is also like more of a japanese idea like version of nostalgia that definitely permeates this book and i wanted to like not let that go unremarked because it is a cultural difference that i think you know we gotta manga explain things every once in a while right mm. <laughs> are the work uniforms old-fashioned in this like kind of the the look they have like the chunk sam she's wearing and the skirt are more what she wears to work. Yeah. So I feel like her personal fashion is pretty modern. Mm. But does she look like a like a classic salary lady? You know the 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 slightly it's this is not the right way to say it, but slightly mullety cut is kind of eighties to me. <laughs> yeah, mm. it's got real eighties. That kind of shag to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm. I was thinking like city hunter. Crying oh. Freeman era is probably like a good a good span mm. for the visuals in this. Well, we're getting yep, deep yep. into manga this week, and Chip is just like 
receding for he's gotten, his camera has gotten blurrier <laughs> and blurrier as we've gone on and i think it's just like he's disassociating from the podcast this week Sorry. <laughs> i'm learning sometimes you've got to sit and listen chris yeah i agree it's true it's true but like city hunter in particular has a very like late 80s early 90s look like lots of like high waists uh thin pants like skinny ankle like jeans type of thing yeah like miami vice like, or something <laughs> Yeah, a little bit Miami Vice. Yeah, maybe a little more into the 80s. And this mm. has none of that. It almost feels like modern day nostalgia where they mm. talk about having older stuff, but they're kind of more or less like 2020-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, especially paired with the more modern like mascot stuff going on. Like there's a lady who's sewing and all that stuff. It kind of gives the book a, a strange vibe. And I really would like to see where it goes in volume two. Mm-hmm. The romance part of it, there are these really sweet moments where you see her noticing little things about him, like, you know, that his cuff is is dirty because he touches the number eight everywhere he goes or mm. when she shakes out his jacket and it flutters in the sky. And you can kind of tell she's like just marveling at that, like, and she, it's not remarked upon. It's like, oh, maybe like it smells like him and or maybe it reminds you of him or it puts her in this poetic mood. So a lot of her moments where she's like feeling like she's in love with this guy, like she has these little moments of realization and the way that Mayuzuki depicts it is really lovely. It's like it's like a little piano sonata. Like she's feeling love, she's feeling romantic, and all of a sudden he is the guitar riff, like ba-ding! <laughs> and then he does <laughs> yeah. something really, really rude, right? Like he says, like you have a nose hair. <laughs> I don't like you, you know, like you look better with glasses instead, and it's it's kind of an interesting beat for a romance. I don't know if you, like, I know Chip, you write yeah. romance, but it's like, I've never dealt with a romance like this before. Like quite this, 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 uh, this rhythm. Like abrasive? A little, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called negging, Deb. Read my book on how to pick up women. Gross. Oh, Incredible. Nah. Deb, you dummy. <laughs> Clearly, I'm out of practice. <laughs> Man. Uh, <laughs> That's really funny that he's rude because I feel like this character used to be, this type of character used to be so much worse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In terms of like being a sexual harassing monster. <laughs> yeah, he'd be lecherous and he's not lecherous here except when yeah. he goes to a porno theater. Which is like the approved place to be lecherous. Yeah, right? Like, oh, you're doing it where you're supposed to. Way to go. Well, as soon as you mentioned City Hunter, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Except... Ooh, City Hunter does not hold up. Those early volumes don't hold up at all. Yeah, you, that's another one where you get a few pages in and you're like, oh, it's going to be one of those kind of books. <laughs> but not written and drawn by a woman in any way. There is no sensuality to City Hunter. It's just like, <laughs> ooh, all right. There's a lot of sensuality to all the drawings of boners that the main character gets because of the other characters. Come on, yeah. Chris. <laughs> He's like constantly rubbing up against other people too it's a whole thing wow we'll put wow. we'll put a couple wow. pages of cine hunter in the show notes for folks they gotta know <laughs> is that why they haven't published it in english again <laughs> i'm pretty sure tell your children okay, okay. about city hunter so they don't discover it on the internet alone <laughs> <laughs> oh boy Man. There's some expressions in here, like with that weird, like rounded corner mouth with the teeth that reminds me of Mitsuru Adachi. Mm. That's mm. the way that they draw like facial expressions kind of like has yeah. that kind of vibe. Like it looks slightly dated. 
but it's not. It's a very unique drawing style. You know, it could very easily go into the realm of being dated and look off, but at the same time, it's it's very, it's well realized. I mean, I think the the way that she composes panels is beautiful, and the way she, she creates the atmosphere. Even though, for most intents and purposes, whenever I've seen documentaries about Kowloon Old City, the fact that she has an apartment that is outward facing and gets sunlight, that's luxury material, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. <laughs> hmm. They definitely come across like, not privileged, but like they're not necessarily scraping yeah. and hunting, yeah. you know? Which I just assumed was like comic story privilege, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. If comic you, story privilege. If you it's like deal with their if you see lives. an apartment in a superhero comic, yeah, it's it's a nightmare. Like rent would be eight thousand dollars a month. Like Spider Man yeah. can't afford that. Yeah, Spider-Man. so I just uh, that my suspension of disbelief like settles right there. Yeah, <laughs> my feeling of that was when I watched Flashdance back in the eighties, and this woman mm-hmm. had a whole warehouse to herself as a starving dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was starting Mind with though. an asterisk beside it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even I knew that was a fantasy. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's one of those things I excuse in a story because it's like how like main characters in anime sit next to the window in high school, you know, mm. so they can gaze out of the window very longingly. <laughs> it's yeah. a whole thing, Chip. Like, I've, it's even been in a bunch of books we've read. It's yeah, kind of yeah. a trip. <laughs> and in this one, she can kind of do that looking out at the stars, which she mm. couldn't do before, before the book began, which is kind of a cool evolution. I think it's such a good dramatic touch that I kind of like don't mind the way they're all kind of like living really well in a really like not very well off place. Yeah. I first learned about Kowloon Walled City from Colors Magazine. Benetton's Colors Magazine Um, did a special issue on it back when I was voraciously trying to take in anything that was culture because I lived in the suburbs. And I would go and buy colors downtown at like one of the queer friendly bookstores that had a flag. And I was like, I know what that means. That's me. It was really great. It presented this like idea of, of this like lawless city and it was like imposing and overwhelming and whatever. But as I've grown up, I've taken on more, more media about Kowloon, a couple of really good documentaries and we'll link them in the show notes. And it's like the thing. And then obviously, you know, the one car Y films and it's people lived there. People lived there and thrived there. And it was a space that a lot of people who didn't have places to go other than that could go. Like Kowloon was in Hong Kong and it was on the border with Shenzhen, basically with, with mainland China and Hong Kong, you know, for all the British empire had a lot of different things going on than mainland China did in the eighties. And so a lot of people would escape undocumented into Kowloon and live in the walled city because the police and the, you know, the, the agents trying to make sure that, you know, everyone actually was supposed to live there, live there, wouldn't go into the city. So they could actually have very different lives. A lot of immigrants, a lot of refugees from a lot of different countries. And so for me, this is a very romanticized version of Kowloon Wall City. And I, I totally agree with what you're all with what you're all saying there. Like, like it's like the friends apartment of <laughs> Kowloon stories. <laughs> but at the same time, all of the stuff about Kowloon Wall City and the media, it, like at the time and and following was so relentlessly negative, this like lawless, mm-hmm. like you would find beauty, but like beauty in a dung heap or beauty in a trash heap kind of a thing was like the best you could mm-hmm. hope for. And this is just like, People are living their lives. And yeah, they absolutely have main character syndrome where they've all got money and whatever. But like, like 
like I, like hundreds of thousands of people lived there. I'm I'm pretty sure I'll correct it in the show notes if I'm wrong. And it's just like, yeah, not every day was like pure struggle and evil and whatever. So I like that aspect of it a lot, actually, that it's just like we're trying to show some balance. And the other side of that is that the that Japan has a history of romanticizing Caldwell City. I've personally in Japan been to two different constru- reconstructions of Kowloon-Walled City. It's weird. Like, this is a thing that goes wow. on in Japan, for sure. Like, bits of building and stuff like that were, like, shipped. Well, the big one was your warehouse, an ethanol warehouse in Kawasaki, where they just were like, I'll buy a container load of pieces of Kowloon-Walled City that were, like, taken. And so it's, like, signage and, like, bits of walls and stuff. I've got photos that I took when I was there. I'll, I'll put it up in the show notes. Was there was Zub and a couple other people, and it was just, like, this is wild, but I've been to other ones as well that are in Japan and like shopping arcades and stuff. So there is like such a thing as romanticizing things a little too far as well. And I feel like this strikes a really like not bad place, like a Hollywood version of it, as opposed to a HK cinema, late eighties, early nineties art house vibe. And I'm still not, yeah. I'm still not upset about it. You know what I mean? But I, people from Kowloon or people from Hong Kong are, <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing my hands up and stepping back because I have no, I've, I am not the primary stakeholder in this one, but it feels okay. It doesn't feel exploitative and it doesn't feel like, like all sunshine. It doesn't feel quite the Robins coming and landing and singing as she's walking through the streets of Kowloon <laughs> to me, but I, I feel where you're coming on from on that one. Anyway. Yeah. On the population front, I was actually reading about this right before the podcast, just because, you know, addicted to Wikipedia. Mm. And 50,000-ish people were living there at the end of the 80s, but it was at a mm. population density of 2 million per square mm. kilometer, I think. Mm-hmm. So, like, nightmarishly dense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, a normal Jesus. amount of people in an abnormal amount of space. Yeah. It would be cool to see, like, that kind of detail in this book, but I think that's probably beyond the scope of a generic romance. <laughs> I think there is, though. There is. She, they inject, like, I was, I'm looking at the scene where she goes to take out the trash, and she goes upstairs to the incinerator. And that's oh, how they yeah. take out the trash, you know? Yeah. And the lady making puppets in her apartment alone, like, is totally one of the, Yeah, that's actually pretty good. There's some neat parts. I actually should lend you... I. I was so fascinated because I bought the book called City of Darkness, mm. and it has mm. this uh, an amazing a fold out map that someone in Japan actually made a, a diagram of what 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 a cross section of the city looked like. Mm-hmm. Awesome to scale with people, you know, going up these jerry rigged stairs and these hallways, and like there was a I saw a video of the postman in Kowloon Walled City making deliveries and. <laughs> That Super was, buff. <laughs> was apparently quite the skill. <laughs> and I was worried about moving to an apartment with five flights of stairs. This dude's climbing 30 every day. <laughs> so, but it is very romantic. You know, I mean, I don't know why, but as soon as, like, I guess like Chris, as soon as I heard about this place, I was fascinated. And I went down this internet rabbit hole learning more and more about it. I mean, I was so interested and I bought the book, which was like, it's like a hundred dollar you know, art book. And, you know, it's just amazing to me. Mm. This, this kind of, I, I don't know why I'm so fascinated because it's just basically like this unplanned city, right? Where a mm-hmm. lot of things in my hometown in Honolulu that had character and individuality g- get raised, you know, torn, torn down and gets replaced by a Nike town. Like mm. the coolest gay bar around 
we had a banyan tree and had lights and it was really cool and you could dance outside. Got Raz and got turned into a Nike town. Unforgivable. The, <laughs> the, the best tiki bar, the only tiki bar in Waikiki, had blowfish limbs, was really cool. Knocked down and turned into an IHOP. So amazing. That <laughs> is such a downgrade. Too, so those yeah. kind of things, you know, like hit it's me. weird looking at my window because it's like it's the before here. It's in Taipei. It is like absolutely the before. They've started tearing down some stuff and building towers, but like it is amazing here. It is like a density and an age, and yeah, it feels really good. Like it feels really good. And I, mm. I went and sat under a banyan tree like yesterday. Actually, <laughs> like it was wild. It's weird that we're talking about this, and though it's weird that this is the first book, but yeah, it's great. Uh, super good. Super into it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Chris, that sounds cool, but where are you going to get all your Nikes and cheap pancakes? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. I think the Walled City is so fascinating. I, I can't speak to like your fascination, but for me, it's like the intersection of so many different things. Mm-hmm. And I think this book touches on it, which is one, people living a normal life, of course, People living a normal life in like a place that's strange to us. Mm-hmm. There's both like the like outside of America overseas element, and also like there's no cities kind of like that in the US. And then all that kind of compiles into like British history, Chinese history, Hong Kong history. And then the way it was used in so many different movies and books when like we were growing up, like Bloodsport is in oh. the Walled City. Yeah. And oh. you know, like Bloodsport's one of the most ripped off movies in the entire world. Yeah, it's, I don't know, there's so many different angles to appreciate or to study the city from that I totally get why you're, like, obsessed with it, but can't decide, like, which bit you're obsessed with. Yeah. It's, like, all of it's fascinating. So this is just another angle to explore the city, then, from your your POV, David? Yeah, I think so. Because mm. I haven't seen a generic, in, like, a good sense, in a normal sense, story like this in Kowloon before. For me, it's, I mean, you know, you guys know what I watch. It's mostly people like yelling and grimacing at each other while shooting or stabbing each other. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of room for like eating watermelon and smoking cigarettes necessarily. <laughs> so this is very pleasant in that in that front. Yeah, there's definitely not any criminal element happening here. It's very, very pleasant. Like it's, oh, let's go down to the Hawaiian cafe. No, we're going to have dumplings, you know, kind of thing. It's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no unsavory elements. There's no, I mean, even though he mentions musty hallways, you don't get that sense of, of decay or mm-hmm. decrepitude. It's like, oh, I wouldn't mind living there. That's kind of cool. And there are some elements that are suspect if you think about it too hard, like the little girl who runs the porno theater. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But it's yeah. never, she is a diminutive adult in that lady. weird way. She is a diminutive adult lady. <laughs> For the listeners listening at home, <laughs> just to be clear, it's a little gunsmith cats. Let's say, sure. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other problem. <laughs> Man, we're gonna have to make Chip read all these '80s manga that we keep referencing. <laughs> I know. Jeez, I'm so sorry, Chip. I wanted to ask you all though. One of the basic premises of this podcast is: is this manga newbie friendly? Would you recommend it to someone who had never read much manga before? Do you think it's accessible to them? I mean, I'd say yes. I mean, I'm obviously not a new manga reader at this point, but I feel like if I just came in cold, I'd quite enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Chip. The Even when it does like cool comics things, like the stuff I appreciate storytelling-wise, it's all in the service of clarity. 
Like when there's a bit where like she like taps out a cigarette, lights it, takes a puff, and then exhales and then starts talking on one page. And like it just makes perfect sense. Like there's nothing to confuse the reader or like mm-hmm. serve as a speed bump. It's just all character work. And that's really cool. Yeah. Even the TNA stuff, like it's there, but like there's like a, a butt shot that's almost more concerned with like the way her toes are pointed than like the curve of her butt. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the yeah. drawing, the quality of the drawing is so high mm-hmm. that like even the TNA isn't necessarily immediately off putting the way it can be in a lot of Sanin. I would agree with all of that, except I think we're all sometimes desensitized to how TNA is viewed outside of comics. I think that whenever I remember talking to, I think it was maybe Eva Volan, the librarian who's a friend of ours, about this. And it's like the like little bits of TNA that we just take for granted as comic book readers, and especially, especially as manga readers, are just so foreign for back of a letter term lack of a better term to people who haven't read much manga before that it stands out it's like magnified it's a hundred times bigger than it actually is mm. in the context of the story so that would be my one thing about this particular book is that there's a couple of sequences that are a little like the first one where you like look down her shirt someone would turn to me and go really and i'd be like a lady drew it and wrote it it's okay and then she'd, they'd be like okay and then they'll keep reading <laughs> But like the other more uh, outwardly sexy sequences, I think might give people pause. But the thing it does really well that I think would make people who really like, who don't read much manga, is that it firmly grounds you in a realistic place before introducing its twists. So we don't Mm. get the giant floating cube diamond thing in the sky until maybe three chapters in, four chapters in. We don't get, okay, it seems like we're very firmly in the 80s the whole time until there's this like very contemporary looking mascot character that's introduced about two thirds of the way into the book. And then we don't get a couple of other things until the end. And I think the twist that's, that's in the last bit, probably in a Hollywood movie, would be introduced at the end of the first act to keep people going. And I think it would be in a Western book, be introduced a little bit earlier. It's funny, there is a really like, detailed drawing of her putting on the shoe at the beginning of chapter three. Mm. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, something for the foot people. <laughs> something for the foot people. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm a sucker for like the, the funny moments. So like my, my notes are like, I love like on page 27 where there's this panel in the bottom corner where they're just glaring at each other nose to nose. That I thought was really funny. Or like the one on page one, 142 where he's saying oh am i rubbing off on you and she just looks give him this look like you've got to be kidding (laughs) (laughs) like the expressions that she made like and it's so much fun because she's normally so cool and elegant and detached and then the way that he says things and then her reactions are just they just make me laugh i also like when the guy is talking to all the old men who he's helping and they give their list of things that they need help with. And it's like, my doors creaked to high heaven. My floor gave out. My farts stink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like such the most random joke. But then, like, the guy gives them boiled eggs three panels later. <laughs> <laughs> when there are moments that really caught you or made you feel like, yeah, I like this. 
or I thought this was really smart. The cartoon face. I, I forget if I mentioned it earlier where she's trying on glasses on page either 48 or 49. I forget which. Mm. But she kind of smiles in a mirror and then she smiles wider. Then it goes to like a halftone smile, like with like the one side, like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> it's so good and so cartoony, but it still fits in the language of the book, which is mostly like realistic and pretty mundane. Yeah. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. It, they've got a really good grasp on when to like twist the art. Yeah. And the drawing of her smoking on the facing page is really good too. There's like that little scene where there's that little panel where it shows like all these eyes on signs and it's like, it harkens to Tsuge's screw style. Mm. It's that manga where he's having this surreal moment and he walks by all these eye stores <laughs> and he goes, Oh, I need, I need, I need to fix my arm, but yeah. there's only eye stores here. Kind of thing. <laughs> there's like little wild. funky, funky little nods to other, other manga. It's very clever. Yeah. There's a lot of things I really like about it. You know, obviously, you know, reading the first volume of a manga is no guarantee you'll read the second, but this one, yeah, this one hooked me. I'm, I'm down. I'm down to read the rest. Nice. <laughs> yep. Same. Had you read this before you recommended it to us? Oh, no. I'd only heard about it. Awesome. I, and to this day, like, I, and I'm a, I'm a big fat cheater. I went to Wikipedia to figure out, like, <laughs> what's going to happen Dab. next? Damn. <laughs> There is nothing. The Wikipedia page yeah. has nothing under the plot page. It says, I like it. It says, please fill this in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> Love it. It's up to you. I have no idea where the story is going, and it's, it delights me that I don't know. <laughs> Let's go around some closing thoughts. We haven't heard from Chris in a while. Any closing thoughts? <laughs> Do you still give it 7 out of 10? It's still a 7 out of 10 for me. I think the. The stuff around the character is too, like, the jerky character is fine. He's a jerk, but he's too specifically shitty to her. And we find, like, there that is the twist at the end of the first volume. But it's like, no, you could have you had a lighter touch there. Some of, the, some of the sex shots were, like, it was like the editor was asking for them. It didn't feel, it was well done for what it was, but it felt a little bit outside of the story at times for me, the sexier parts. But yeah, like... Solid 7 out of 10. I want to read more. I don't want to just put it on the shelf or leave it in my digital library. So, you know, could be worse, right? Nice. I'll, I'll go next just so I can say that uh, I disagree with Chris on everything. <laughs> I think the guy's a, a perfect amount of jerk. I thought it was a perfect amount of sensual horniness. And yeah, I, I really like that. I think it's a, a beautiful book. Like Even just from an art standpoint, I'd be interested in seeing the next volume. I give it mm. eight, maybe even a nine out of ten. I quite liked it. Nice, I respect wow. that. Wow, nine out of ten from Chip. Maybe for me, like we talked a lot about, or we talked a fair amount about how he goes to a porno theater to relax. But what stands out for me is he goes to a porno theater to reminisce on past days. It seems like like he's mm. like remembering or imagining yeah, something that's weird. Yeah. rather mm. than watching the actual porn on the screen in front of him. Or maybe he's doing both. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's like a fascinating twist for a character who I kind of thought I had figured out. Where he's like the generic, you know, city hunter, crying Freeman main character kind of guy. But maybe not. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good recommendation. And I'm glad that Deb brought it to the podcast. Excellent. It's always a little bit of a risk to bring a book that I've never personally read <laughs> to, to the group. I actually like this a lot more than After the Rain. Mm. 
I like how it's unfolding. I like the, I like the couple, and I like how their relationship is not a given or it's not predictable. But also, I guess art wise, I just love those little moments where, where she's having these, mm, these moments where like she's largely not saying anything, but the visuals give you a sense mm. of place and time, and even temperature. You know, <laughs> like yeah. Like how hot it is, and how how com- how confined she is, but and how what, the little things she's mm-hmm. doing, and the way that they frame the panels, it's just beautiful. It's it's everything's done in the service of telling a story with time yeah. and mood. It's not just there to be pretty, and I it kind of reminds me a little bit of Akira in that way. In that Akira is, is set in a a Tokyo that has this well worn decrepitude. <laughs> But it's still kind of romanticized a little bit. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is obviously much lighter than Akira, but the it ain't easy drawing all these details. I think there aren't too many manga set in Kowloon, Walled City, because you got to draw a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> you got to draw a lot of detail. You got to draw a lot of perspective. And most people are like, you know what? I'll just do bleach and do fight scenes in a white wasteland. <laughs> Let's just do that. <laughs> wow, shot fired at or is appreciating genius at work. Angrily. Wow. <laughs> no, but I love Bleach and I get why he did that cuz you got to make mm-hmm. deadline. This is in a monthly book. So <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Wow. I love you Taito Kubo. Wow. You still okay. draw hot guys? I love you. <laughs> Anyway, that is Kowloon Generic Romance. We will be right back after this break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we are back. And given that, well, I don't know, we're too lazy to look for a Q&A, but go ahead and send us questions. We love them. We'll, we may answer them on a future episode. But in the meantime, we're going to go out with some shout outs. I'll go first. <laughs> So my recommendation is actually related to Kowloon Generic Romance because they, I guess they're real estate agents is the best way to describe what they do in the book. Like for a living, like they're landlords, they repair things, they take care of people. And there is a British sitcom called Stathlet's Flats 
that's created and co-written by Jamie Demetrio, who is the brother of Nadja from What We Do in the Shadows, where he plays like a, a real estate agent who super sucks at his job and life and being a good son. <laughs> it's a super funny sitcom. I think it's like 30 minutes and there's three seasons, three series out now. But it's like a funny look at how bad the real estate market is. It's sort of wrapped up in the drama of like this kind of small real estate business in London. Good times. And if you like this very small part of Kowloon generic romance, you'll probably really like Seth Let's Flats. That sounds great. Sounds mm-hmm. cool. Chris, how about you? Well, David's inspired me. Yeah, I'm going to I've actually been thinking about this manga. I'm going to I'm going to pull a deb and recommend a manga this week. I've been thinking about this manga a lot because I'm currently looking for a new place to live, and the manga is called Is Kichijoji the Only Place <gasps> to Live? And it's by Maki Hirochi. And I actually thought about picking it for the podcast once upon a time, but it is so insider baseball about Japan that I was just like, there's not even a place for Chip to like on-ramp onto reading this book. But it's basically Kichijoji is this neighborhood in Tokyo that is like always picked as like the best place to live in all of Tokyo. And Maki Hirochi made a manga about two real estate agents, two sisters who are very unconventional in a lot of different ways. They're both metalheads. They're both brash people who tell it like it is. And it's just like people come to them and they're like, hey, I want to live in Kichijoji because I'm like X, Y, or Z. Yeah. They sort of guide them through in a very manga one shot or like TV episode of the week kind of way. Like, actually, what you really need is this. And this is the neighborhood you should maybe consider. And they're like, you're right. This is the perfect neighborhood. Thanks so much. I can't believe I wanted to live in Kichijoji, <laughs> but for every every chapter of it. And it reminded me, like, the, the real estate agents that we're talking about in Kowloon Walled City, like, it's just like you're going to live in Kowloon. <laughs> like, there's only one neighborhood. There's just maybe different buildings. But right now, it's like, we're looking at places we want to live in, like, the cool neighborhood that everyone wants to live in in Saipei, which is, like, Shimen and yeah, where I'm just constantly trying to remind myself that like there's probably other really cool neighborhoods and you just don't know them yet because you only hear that this one neighborhood is the cool one. So is Kichijoji the only place to live? We'll link it in the show notes. It's digital only. I think it's just even maybe on Comixology. I'm not sure. I'm sure I can find it online and I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes. But it is a really funny manga. And if you think that you are like a high level weeb who really likes Tokyo, this is the manga for you because it's all kinds of neighborhoods you didn't even know existed. <laughs> nice. So yeah, that's my that's my pick for this week. I love it. I love reading that one. I mean, it makes me want to take lists and go, oh, that, that tonkatsu place they're describing sounds awesome. I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's see. Well, I guess my pick is I started watching this anime called Lovely Muko. There's a manga of it coming out next year. It's about a it's about a very energetic and very devoted Shiba Inu dog who lives with a guy who's a glassblower. And Muko just loves his master, her master. Muko's a, a she. But Muko just kind of has these delusions about, like, is so energetically in love with Komatsu-san, who's a glassblower. Like, oh my God, this this frisbee, it's, it's this flying disc thing, it's so wonderful. <gasps> it's so cool. It's so much fun. What am I going to call it? It needs a name. I'm going to call it Komatsu. Everything that she she loves, she gives calls it komatsu because to her, komatsu is the epitome of cool, fun, and lovely. It's very upbeat, very silly. Nice. It's kind of the actual 
opposite of all the cat manga we were talking about earlier. Because <laughs> cause this dog just is, it's goofy. It's really fun. It's very not Marmaduke, though. It's kind of adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and Chip, what do you have for us? I, I, it's been a while since we recorded one of these, but a couple weeks ago I finished a book of short stories called New Teeth by a guy named Simon Rich. He was like a writer for Saturday Night Live. And it's really, really funny. Uh, there's a, a story about two pirates trying to raise a daughter together, a story from the point of view of a laser disc player and their height in the 80s and their crash. There's like a hard-boiled detective story revolving around a, a two-year-old detective trying to solve a mystery for his like one-year-old sister. And it's got all those like hard-boiled detective tropes in it. It's it's super, super funny. And I, I, I got through that and I immediately got one of his older books of short stories called Hits and Misses. Yeah, yeah, very, very funny, especially if you're looking for like quick little bursts of nice chuckles. It's got a great cover. The pacifier bitten in two, kind of, or the <laughs> yeah, chuck yeah. bitten out of it. Wow. <laughs> that sounds yeah, amazing. It's very funny. Very cool. Well, I think we, I think we managed to recommend a book. Recommend a few other great things. I think we did okay. Yeah, I think so. That was Kowloon Generic Romance. And well, I guess that's it for this week. We will see you next week with some more wonderful, unexpectedly strange and lovely manga to be explained. See you next time. This has been Manga Explaining Episode 79, Kowloon Generic Romance. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Deficient Chief Kosakushima by Kenshi Hirokane. Want to pick up a copy? Good luck! It's, you gotta, anyway, it's hard to find <laughs> unless you go through Amazon <laughs> Japan. Whatever, it's worth it. <laughs> go get it. <laughs> if you're feeling adventurous, go ahead and ask your local comic book shop, manga specialty shop for it. You'll get some really fun answers. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library. And hopefully there are really amazing, wonderful library that has the bilingual edition of Kosakushima. And if they are, tell us about it because they are at A1 Manga Library. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DIDS for their musical accompaniment for this episode. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.